You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi, Sarkan. Hello, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm well. This is your second time coming onto the show. So how's things in Japan? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you refer uh, to the gaming industry where I'm focusing on, it's been uh, a while in the last two weeks. So a lot of things have uh, happened actually in, in my industry. In fact, that's the reason why I've asked you to come on the show today because I was reading your Twitter feed two weeks ago where the alliance between DNA and Nintendo was announced. There was a very big event, apparently. I think you were at the event itself, right? Yeah, so I was, even though I'm not a part of the media, I got the chance to attend the event and they gave everybody a two-hour notice, believe it or not. They basically said, hey, it's 3 p.m. now, we are sending you this email and please be at the Nintendo DNA conference at uh, 5 p.m. at that specific place here in Tokyo. But because it's Nintendo that was basically behind the deal, you know, everybody came running. And I think that at the end, I think I saw at least 200 people from the media there again everybody just got two hour notice and where is the event held in tokyo yeah it wasn't the grand hyatt in the, in the Roppongi area here in uh, central tokyo and uh, you know i, I just live uh, 10 minutes away i was free so i w- wasn't in a meeting or whatever so i knew i was reading the email nintendo and dna in the same sentence in the headline and they are announcing something this is going to be really really big and i immediately t- uh, tweeted that news out and then basically all hell broke loose and just to kind of give a backstory first probably it would be good to tell the audience who Nintendo and DNA are, right? So let's start with Nintendo, which is currently have a market capitalization of 2.5 trillion yen, which is about 28.8 billion US dollars, and currently at a stock price at 17. 1990 plus plus is a console game maker what has it been doing i think it's almost very famous for the wii console right so nintendo's basically i would say the biggest name independent you know of your personal opinion if you like their games or not as a gamer they're the biggest name in gaming i would say not even considering which platform it's basically the household name for games so what nintendo has been doing in the last years is that they have been reluctant to go uh, onto a smartphone. Instead, they have been focusing on a very unique uh, position as the owner of the entire stack in terms of uh, video game hardware and video game software. So they have basically survived on the business model where they said, hey, look, if you want to play our games, our you know, Mario, Zelda, or Pokemon games, you basically have to buy a piece of dedicated Nintendo hardware first in order to be able uh, to access our software. So they were essentially uh, the only company that could afford to have a business model like that or a positioning like that. At that press conference that we were just talked about, uh, they made that dramatic change in uh, strategy uh, saying that, that they will be a multi-platform uh, from now on, even including uh, the PC to some extent. And of course, DNA is a very well-known mobile games company. On the Nikkei Stock Exchange, its market capitalization is about $320 billion, which is about US $2.7 billion, almost about 10 times smaller than Nintendo. Yes, it's 10 times smaller than Nintendo, but it, it's a much much younger company and it's in the game space they've been just uh, active i think for seven or eight years now you know but they are still as big as zynga in the u.s which is in terms of uh, facebook slash mobile gaming uh, one of the biggest companies in the western hemisphere they have 2,000 employees they're listed at first uh, section of the tokyo stock exchange still uh, you know after all of those years i would still call dna a 
key player in, in the mobile game space in Japan and also to some extent worldwide. So they have offices in San Francisco, for example, where I think they have over 400 people. They have offices in China. I think DNA China is over 200 people. Uh, so I would say it's a rather big global player, but focused on the mobile segment. And this is also the, the background of the deal. So Nintendo is very strong uh, on the console side, but has absolutely no expertise on the mobile side, whereas it's, it's very different when you uh, think about DNA, which is very strong focusing very much on the mobile side of things while never have been doing anything on the, on the console side. So DNA, which mobile games are very well known for DNA? I may have touched one of their games, but probably is good to know as well. <laughs> yeah, so that's a really difficult question because yeah. DNA have been around since the feature phone times in Japan. So. This is basically the genesis of the company as a video game maker. So they were actually listed already as a mobile e-commerce or as, as a mobile commerce provider here on the Japanese market when they were one of the two pioneers. The other one is Gree, G-R-E-E, here on the Japanese market of mobile games with the social touch in general. So you, you basically could call DNA and Gree the pioneers of the mobile game space uh, that we have right now uh, worldwide. But they've been focusing a lot on the Japanese market for a long, long time. On smartphones, they have been producing, I wouldn't say flop necessarily, but you know the games didn't perform as well as uh, you know the biggest uh, Japanese games uh, that you have here on mobile in Japan uh, right now like a Puzzle and Dragons for example from uh, Gung Ho Online which is of course also listed or Mixi's Monster Strike so DNA despite having that rich feature phone history 2000 employees and a lot of expertise on mobile games they've never been uh, you know successful on the, on the smartphone application side which is the reason why i can't really answer your question okay you are at the grand hyatt hotel so yes. what happened yeah so basically what happened was that you know the two companies dropped a bombshell this is what basically happened so they've basically announced even though they didn't have any publicly known touch points before and even though Nintendo wasn't even hinting something like that uh, in the past few weeks and months, they said uh, there's going to be three things. First of all, an equity swap. That equity swap has been executed and now Nintendo owns 10% of DNA and DNA owns 1.24% of uh, Nintendo through that uh, equity swap. Mm. The second mm. point is that these two companies will, going forward, starting this year, that they will co-develop and work together in operating, updating, and maintaining the mobile games that Nintendo is going to produce using the Nintendo IP, like Mario, Pokemon, Zelda, and other you know, IP like uh, Donkey Kong, for in instance. They have, I think I would say, that about 10 IPs that have a certain reputation and a certain size. And as a third point, they announced that Nintendo is going to operate together with DNA platform, a Nintendo platform, probably with a single login that spans across multiple devices, including Nintendo's home console, the Wii U, and Nintendo's portable 3DS, but also including the PC even, smartphones and uh, uh, tablets. So these three things have been announced as the bigger uh, three bullet points during uh, that uh, press conference. So what do you think is the motivation behind this deal? Yeah, I mean, for both companies, uh, the situation is, is not looking great at the moment. So DNA, as I mentioned earlier, has a string uh, of applications of uh, games that they've brought out on uh, iOS and on Android that haven't been uh, performing well. And the problem for DNA is that it's really, really difficult at the moment. So you cannot really blame DNA or the, their management or their game creators for producing bad content or something like that or you know, for not marketing the titles really well. It's really, really difficult to have a top five, top ten even game, I would say, in a market that is as competitive as Japan at the moment. DNA was unlucky in the last one to two years with their applications. And as their legacy business has been also weakening over the last two to three years now, uh, their position has worsened as a company. The, the same thing you could uh, say about DNA. So DNA's home console, the Wii U, is a clear flop. 
the 3DS is a gigantic success as a platform and as a handheld and uh, also on the software side. So, you know, games for the 3DS are selling like hotcakes. The problem is that the 3DS is uh, also at nearing the end of the life cycle. These two companies were very big, very respected companies. They know how to do games. You know, they have been struggling in coming up with a new product that you could call a hit in recent years. So this is the reason why they've been uh, joining forces. Uh, to make Nintendo also a force uh, on the mobile side. So why did Nintendo choose DNA and not Gree then? Or any even other major mobile game maker? Yeah, so they could, right? You know, Gree and DNA are very, very similar companies. So they're basically in the feature phone times, they formed a duopoly with very, very similar uh, content, very, very similar uh, platforms with very, very similar business models and content and what have you. They could have uh, chosen Gree, you know, to answer your question at that press conference, uh, Iwata-san, the uh, Nintendo president, he said there were basically two things. Uh, First, uh, he hinted that, you know, it was personal sympathy with the DNA CEO. And as a second point, he said that DNA has been trying uh, to work together with Nintendo since June 2010. And uh, since then, they have been very, very persistent, he said. This persistency was uh, the main reason why he said, OK, we're we are going to choose you as our partner in, in our mobile games business going forward. So if you look at the even inside, you know, the big Japanese mobile game ecosystem, there are not many game companies that have 2000 employees. So if you look at Gangho, for example, you know, of course, they are operating one of the worst, the biggest online games or mobile games right now, Puzzle and Dragons. But, you know, even Gangho as a whole, just has a couple hundred employees. They don't have expertise in actually running a platform. DNA has expertise in doing that. So there's the Mobage platform we mentioned. They have expertise in running a lot of games at the same time. Even internationally, it's a very data-driven company. They have also a longer history in mobile games than Gangho or Mixi, for example, which is, has the number two game, Monster Strike, in Japan at the moment. So DNA has a few advantages that the other big competitors here in Japan don't have. And I would agree with you. So I think that the only uh, other logical uh, solution would have been agree, but Nintendo went uh, with uh, DNA. So DNA is like possibly the platform and Nintendo is like the content creator. Yes, so this is what uh, Iwata-san uh, said uh, in subsequent interviews, for example, with Time Magazine and with the Nikkei, etc., etc. So he said, no, look, we will provide the IP and we will basically provide the games itself, but we will rely on DNA doing the heavy lifting on the server side, on the operational side, because I think that your listeners on this po- podcast might not all be, you know, gaming experts. So, so maybe I should quickly uh, describe a big difference between a video games business on one side and the mobile games business on the other side, and that is, video games are closed. Uh, you know, encapsulated experiences that you ship out and that you uh, get a upfront fee. So you, you you say basically, you know, look, you give us fifty bucks or sixty bucks, and then we will give you that uh, packaged good. And then, you know, we will never hear from you again, dear user. Thank you very much for trusting in us. Whereas mobile games are free-to-play experiences and services that never end. They have to be constantly updated, tweaked, and changed, and maintained, and serviced, basically uh, indefinitely in theory. And this is something where Nintendo had absolutely no idea, or still has absolutely no idea, and, and this is where DNA will come in. And does that actually become a prelude to a possible merger? Or acquisition. I mean, does this really sound like some prenuptial agreement because one of them is 10x of the other and then now they do this share swap between them? If I were cynical, I would say that Nintendo could try to suck information and knowledge out of uh, DNA before ending a possible relationship after three, four, five years before under really understanding the mobile game business. But I think that this is one of the reasons why the equity swap, I'm totally speculating right now, maybe one of the reasons why the equity swap happened to make the partnership more sincere without going all the way to a, a full acquisition. 
Because uh, what Nintendo did now is there's no point of return anymore for Nintendo. They cannot say in 2018 or 2019, oh, hey, you know, we really tried with the mobile game business. It doesn't work for us. Let's go back to console. That would be suicide. So this is not going to happen anymore. So Nintendo has chosen DNA as the partner, has chosen to go into mobile, and this will be the strategy for the next few years. But an acquisition, I think, is, is still possible. I think that a cynical scenario that I just described might be realistic. But the thing is that Nintendo, as you pointed out, I think in episode two of the podcast is that it's on this kind of the eighth cycle of the console gaming movement so it's coming to the nine and basically what at that point in time you were saying that microsoft has xbox it can go into the mobile platform sony yeah. playstation can go into the tv whereas nintendo is still very reliant on its console game maker so right. is this move kind of a way to say that hey we are going to move into mobile and we're going to leave console gaming behind or are we still going to make our bets strategically by going through the console game and also to the mobile games? Yes, you know, Nintendo was basically asked a very similar question during the press conference. And they said, you know, look, uh, we are doing, going to do both things. We are not giving up uh, the video game business. We are going to run both business units in parallel. Just to make a political statement, this is my own interpretation of things. What Iwata-san did at the end of the conference, he said, we are, we are going to put out a new console out there. A new a piece of hardware, not necessarily console, but a piece of hardware which we are codenaming NX. He made this announcement specifically today without going into more details about what this new piece of hardware will actually look like, what kind of platforms it will hook into apart from its own uh, Nintendo platform, what kind of devices, I mean, it will be able to hook up with. And he said he made that announcement to show to the world that Nintendo is focusing on, on video games. It will not transform itself into a mobile game company. For the time being, they're going to run these two units in parallel. Mm. So when will the first games come out? I know you like to play games on the phone and on the console. When are you going to do that? As a, as a player, I absolutely love console games. He was also asked that question and he was a little bit cryptic. So I'm talking about the Nintendo CEO. Mm. He said uh, the first uh, piece of content, not necessarily games, nobody really knows what he means by that, uh, maybe a little bit more cryptic than he wanted to, will be uh, out by the end of 2015. The thing is that, you know, with the mobile games nowadays, you know, if you want to have a high profile mo mobile game or high, pro uh, high quality mobile game with, you know, decent production value, which is with uh, enough quality, with quality control and with all of these things th that can be actually deployed to millions of users, three months, four or five months is not enough anymore. It's now, right now, have a production cycle that is going more towards a year and in some cases even much longer than that. And plus the fact that they use a gaming console and the touchscreen on the smartphone has a very different kind of interaction layer for the user itself. Correct. He also said what we will do as Nintendo is we will not provide simple ports of our existing games with the adjustments that you mentioned for smartphone content resolutions and screen sizes and, and, and all of these things. We are not going to port existing games. We are, we are going to build together with DNA uh, mobile games from scratch. You, again, using Nintendo IP, but they will be uh, built specifically for uh, smart devices. Do you think that they have already worked on this for a while before announcing this deal? At the press conference, I had a little bit the impression that you know, it was a little bit uh, rushed. They were very clear, I would say, on the, on the big picture. But, uh, you know, when it, it came down to details, they were a little bit sketchy, you know, but it's not unnatural, I would say, if you have such a big, you know, announcement by these two big companies. And these are Japanese companies, you know, so they're, I would say, even more cautious and even more conservative when it comes to sharing details with public, especially at uh, that stage of the relationship. I would say that Nintendo has a, a thought long and hard about it. What they've been doing is, again, they've been very reluctant to do mobile games for such a long time. 
Then, um, you know, during the last financial report, the latest uh, financial results call, Nintendo basically said, you know, look, we are going to uh, venture into a lifestyle business. So they announced sleep tracking device that you put next to your bed while you sleep and that device is supposed to, you know, track your sleeping patterns and then give you advice on how to improve your sleep. But, you know, basically everybody was just shrugging and saying, what is this? This doesn't look interesting and Nintendo-like at all. And there are already devices like that on the market, right? So I think that, you know, when Nintendo saw these reactions, looked at their numbers and saw how mobile games are projected to grow, not only in Japan, but worldwide over the next few years, I think that they finally caved in. Mm. I think the deal also make their stock price rise by a big percentage, right? Yes, of course. I mean, because uh, again, Nintendo was absolutely uh, not present on mobile games on the mobile side at all. So Nintendo going mobile, the upside is huge. I think that even if you are not a gaming expert, you will you will understand that the theoretical upside for that kind of scenario, when I talk to my clients, I even call it theoretically mind-boggling. Wow. So how yeah. does the deal change the gaming industry as a whole? Yeah, so basically, you know, on the mobile side, I can tell you that no a game provider on the mobile game side is, or no content provider on on that on that side of the business of the in the gaming world is happy or can be happy about Nintendo entering their their turf. If you look at the biggest company in the world in terms of mobile games, it's Gung Ho Online here in Japan, Mixi here in Japan, it's Supercell in Europe, it's King also in Europe, or you know even companies like Zynga in the U.S or other big companies uh, that are do- big on mobile in the United States, what kind of advantage does it bring to them uh, when Nintendo enters mobile? Nothing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a red ocean already. It's very, very competitive. It's very expensive to acquire users and maintain. It's very difficult to retain users, monetize users. So, so two weeks ago, the, the GDC, the Game Developers Conference, happened in San Francisco. I was there. And uh, there was a one statistic that, that w- uh, was shared uh, widely among everybody. And that statistic was that only on the iPhone, Every day, worldwide, but every day, 500 new games are coming out. And these are not applications. These are just games. So 20% of all applications out there on the Android and iOS platforms are games already. And now Nintendo comes and makes that already super competitive landscape uh, that red ocean, if you will, even more competitive. Nintendo will make a big, big dent um, in, in the mobile uh, game industry. But what about greed then? Since they are not part of the alliance, do you foresee them working with, say, Sony, for example? I think yes. so- Sony yeah. Sony still owns the PlayStation, right? I mean, the yes. consumer electronics are all gone already by now. That's, that's correct, yeah. But uh, Sony is still in full control of uh, the PlayStation platform. So do, do you see a possible alliance for Sony and Gri? No. Uh, it could be, right? I mean, it could be that, uh, you know, Sony comes and says, hey, you know, we have to, uh, you know, go into mobile and we have to buy Gree and absorb Gree to have, have a counterproduct to what uh, Nintendo is doing. Could also be Microsoft approaches Gree and says, hey, you know, we are nobody in gaming in, in Japan, uh, both on console and, um, of course, not on the, on the mobile side, even though, you know, you can argue that Microsoft is owning micro- Minecraft right now, which is also big in Japan, uh, you know, as an IP and as a, as a franchise. But uh, they could also go and say, hey, you know, uh, Gree solves, uh, you know, a few problems for us uh, and it's relatively cheap now why don't we buy these guys uh, so far there's not been any official word on that and i would say that even if uh, such a deal happens uh, nobody can beat the significance and you know the earthquake that nintendo has uh, triggered uh, with with their deal with uh, dna so what was the aftermath of the press conference 
Yeah, so the aftermath was uh, that everybody started speculating. When when does the first game uh, game comes out? Uh, what what is the upside going to be? What are the downfalls for Nintendo? Um, and what does it mean for DNA? Is it a good deal for them? It's a bad. Is it a bad deal for them? So there are two camps, for example, you know, that say uh, for the Nintendo part of that discussion. So one camp is very uh, pessimistic. So they're saying, well, you know, Nintendo doesn't do how to do mobile games. Uh, you know, the mobile game user base doesn't even know Nintendo or, or uh, does uh, Nintendo doesn't have cloud in that in that user base while the other side and uh, while the other camp and I, I belong to the second camp that's uh, very bullish on Nintendo going mobile so you think that they are going to definitely create a dent in the gaming universe so in my eyes, and you know, maybe you know, uh, if if we if you listen to this podcast in a year, maybe my son, or or two years, my, maybe my words will sound ridiculous. But uh, I, I at this point, I have no doubt that uh, Nintendo is going to be successful. I'm sure in a couple of months there's going to be some killer announcements, and I'm sure I'm going to ask you back, <laughs> just like this one. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I was following your Twitter feed on that day. I was like wondering what is going on. You know, I, I mean, it was, it was just was crazy. Yeah, so my tweet, my first tweet, where I was, I was basically tweeting out the announcement, you know, that email, uh, you know, they, did, they didn't even let uh, people share the information of the venue, of the Grand Tide, so I didn't do that. So I didn't make that public, but they said, you know, there's going to be YouTube stream, etc., etc. And so later, somebody told me that my tweet was on the front page of Reddit. And I got, I think, 300 uh, followers, like in, in 10 hours or something like that, just because, uh, just because of that announcement. And it was, it was just, it was just off the hook. It was uh, so the reaction that I got to that uh, to that tweet and the subsequent tweets was uh, bigger than the re- reactions to my tweets when I was at uh, Narita Airport here in Tokyo when the earthquake broke out in 2011. Well, you're already an international celebrity already, so you're adding another 300 is just a just to increase that propagation right <laughs> so yeah, but, just... it was it was really it was really quick and these, these were all so i was happy about it because these was uh, these were all real gamers and real players and you know real people who love nintendo and all of these folks the, uh, the way that it was shared and retweeted etc etc it was just unbelievable but you know it, it's uh, this is nintendo right i mean the point that i'm trying to make is that no other company has that kind of like brand recognition and uh, brand power and cloud uh, when it comes to gaming so nintendo touches a lot of people on on many many levels okay we're going to take a step out and i'm going to talk about another interesting company which is i think my favorite japanese company softbank Mm -hmm. so i think in 2013 they bought 51.4 percent stake in a company called supercell for 1.5 billion valuation so i have recently read that supercell is actually been more successful after the softbank investment or should i term it almost full acquisition because the revenue of Clash of Clans and Heyday is already reaching something like US 1.7 billion. Right. So why do you think this is working so well for them? I mean, SoftBank is great. They, they invest very well yes. in everything. Yes. Uh, yeah. So SoftBank is also one of my favorite uh, Japanese companies, also for myself. I really am a big uh, a fan of how the company approaches business and how they do things. Yeah. So in 2013, they basically did uh, one of the biggest deals uh, up until that point uh, by acquiring the majority stake in one of the biggest mobile game operators in the world back then and still now, Supercell from Finland, right? So the, this company is the company behind uh, Clash of Clans, uh, Boom Beach, and Heyday. Mm-hmm. So they have basically these three big IPs uh, that they're oper- operating globally, including in Japan, by the way. And uh, SoftBank uh, back then came in, paid what you what you mentioned for that stake in the company. And fast forward to today, it was basically a bargain for them. 
it was a great, great deal because they tripled their re revenue. So that was the big headline in the in the last couple of days for for Supercell uh, that they have actually not only been uh, been able to maintain that kind of revenue flow that they saw back uh, two years ago when uh, the SoftBank deal was realized, but they actually improved. It's also here on the Japanese mar mobile game market, which is the biggest one in the world um, in terms of sales. Here, here too. So, Supercell is big, especially with the Clash of Clans. It's the biggest foreign company in terms of, uh, you know, when it comes to the mobile games market in, in here in Japan. It's a great, great deal. Uh, it's a great, great deal for SoftBank, which, by the way, also owns Gung Ho Online, which operates uh, the the most successful uh, Japanese game, Puzzle and Dragon, which is making well over uh, 100 million dollars in revenue per month. Mm. So, two things will come out here. So, Supercell, are they truly the only global mobile gaming company in the world? Yeah, so there are some people uh, that argue that way because, uh, you know, Supercell is uh, they have successful in North America and Europe, but also in difficult markets like China, like Korea, and also like Japan. So they're charting in the grossing rankings in all of these regions that I mentioned. And I think that uh, if you take the second uh, the second big name, which which would come to your mind, King, which is also listed, uh, a big company, they are, uh, they are also active in all of the regions that I just mentioned, but they are not as big. For example, King Japan exists, but you know Candy Crush is doing okay, but they are not as successful as, as Supercell. I wouldn't say it's the only one, but I would say it's probably the most successful one. Mm. So come to the second thing. SoftBank has already controlled two big mobile gaming companies. Yes. Are we going to see more M&A in the process? Yeah, I think that was Bloomberg that had at least, I think, one or two reports where they speculated or, or where they publicly put out uh, news releases where, where they said that uh, SoftBank is in talks with Line because that would basically close the loop, right, in, in some way. So SoftBank as, as, as a big Japanese telco, as you know, they also operate Sprint in the US. That's the telco side. On the content side, they have Gungho and Supercell. Uh, you know, the two biggest names uh, or two of the biggest names in, in mobile games nowadays globally. And then Line uh, could could have been the third big pillar you know, as a communication and as a messenger app and now also as a platform app. But uh, that's just speculation. I have a guest, Dave Corbin, I think from Tech in Asia, who was here to just talk about everything about Line. Mm -hmm. So how's gaming in Line like? Because he doesn't game. So you probably have used gaming on the Line app. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so basically, I'm, you know, I'm playing every line, gap, uh, line game that's coming out, and that's possible because Line has a very, very unique philosophy for its Line gaming platform when compared to WeChat in China, for example, or especially when compared to KakaoTalk in Korea. So the way that KakaoTalk in Korea operates their gaming platform is that, it's, that the pipe is relatively open. So they are very flexible in, getting, in opening the KakaoTalk platform to third-party game developers. As a consequence, I think at the moment, the KakaoTalk platform has, uh, I think, over 2,000 games uh, on its platform. So all of these games are using the uh, KakaoTalk social graph uh, to make uh, the games stickier and more social. And if you compare that with Line, for example, Line here in Japan uh, on their gaming platform, they offer a very curated experience. Every game that is uh, approved to be distributed through the Line platform uh, has gone through a rigorous, uh, you know, screening process, and as a consequence, I think the uh, the the number of uh, so line is very very strict when it comes to allowing third party game content onto its platform. As a consequence, the number of line powered games that you have globally, I think it's at uh, below fifty at the moment. Five zero. And this has impact on the app installs of the gaming app as well, right? 
Uh, yes, they, they're purging. Not only is the screening process extremely strict, but even after you're allowed and, you know, the games are out there and, you know, people start downloading them, line is actually pretty strict. So they have been purging the game platform twice in November 2014 and in, uh, in June 2014. And both times they cut uh, around 15 to 20 games uh, from the entire platform, which already has, you know, a relatively small number of games. Right. Um, so, so they purge so games every now and then as well. So. Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. So what, what, what must the game do in order to get purged? Yeah, so, so all of the games that they have uh, you know, uh, removed from the Glyne Games uh, platform, they didn't have enough uh, downloads or you know, the, the user retention was not high enough or the monetization uh, was not high enough for Line. Uh, so as a consequence, uh, you know, the, the line games that are being left on the platform, they perform in one way or the other, opening or engagement or in terms of monetization. But the number of hit line games is very, very low when you compare it to the number of hit Kakao Talk games. Because again, Kakao Talk is much more open. And as a consequence, if you look at, if you compare the grossing rankings on iOS and Android in Japan versus Korea, you will see that in Korea, you know, Kakao Talk powered games totally dominate the uh, the top 30 or the top 40 in the in these rankings while it's not the same situation that you have here in japan so here in japan you have i think at the moment if you look at the top 30 uh, grossing ios and uh, android uh, uh, games here in japan i think just uh, three or four of them are powered by line so it's a big big contrast so these two companies are on different uh, points of the of the spectrum it's really really interesting from the from that standpoint so you think that when softbank invests in line what will happen is that they will they have enough influence to get Line to open to more games out there? Yeah, so I think that uh, this is something that Line has to do, right? I think that, uh, you know, uh, Line's curated uh, gaming experience is not really working uh, on a platform level. So Line has that mentality because they were fearing when they launched the game, Line game platform in 2012 that the users will, uh, you know, be, um, be confused by the additional content that is on, on their platform and they didn't want to they didn't want their Japanese users back then to confuse line with Mobage and the uh, uh, degree uh, mobile gaming platforms and the, so, so they uh, went for that very very curated approach so I think that's some uh, logic behind it back then but I think that they should open the platform much more because Kakao Talk shows that it's working and you know Mobage and Gree are not established as, as they were three years ago yeah so I think the possible software acquisition or an investment whatever you may call the uh, you may uh, call it would be a catalyst for that but I think another uh, probably more realistic catalyst would be a coming IPO so I wouldn't be surprised if um, Line changes their uh, pl uh, platform in terms of games in the next uh, couple of weeks because they know that they're going to public soon. Okay, so uh, they're going public this year in Nikkei Stock Exchange, right? Uh, so that's the speculation, right? So uh, so they they haven't really announced anything yet. So nothing is uh, public about their IPO plans. But you know that's the wide uh, wide expectation uh, that the line is going to go public this year. Mm. So I've seen SoftBank have gone through many investments. I mean, the most well known is Alibaba, and right. I think SoftBank have recently started going all over the world, taking out all the taxi apps. I think John Russell wrote an article about all the connection of different taxi apps linking back to SoftBank. Right. Do you think that the team in SoftBank are very good investors? They seem to be getting everything right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's also a little bit of a mystery to me who who's like uh, driving those deals. I mean, it can cannot be all like. Uh, Masasan, you know, yeah. Of course, he's he's the one who like greenlights everything at the, at the end. You know, the, these deals have to be sourced and analyzed. You know, and like uh, you know and put into some kind of context and uh, yeah so i would agree with you that uh, softbank is doing a lot of things on the investment side uh, 
you know, attacking things on that side very in a very, very clever way. It feels that, to me that they're like the Berkshire Hathaway for tech. You know that Warren Buffett don't invest in tech. And soft right. bankers do all the right investments on tech. Right, right, yeah, and even you know, you you could even argue that they uh, that they even venture in some non traditional investment uh, investment areas like games, for example, right? Because you know, games are entertainment, right? So it's very very difficult to predict what will happen to Supercell, for example, in two thousand thirteen. Uh, you know, when uh, when that uh, when that investment happened, nobody had an idea that people would still play, you know, uh, Clash of Clans and Heyday and or Puzzle and Dragons, for example. Uh, the deal was also. I think it happened in the same in, in the same year uh, that people are still, uh, you know, playing these games in 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 March 2015, where we are right now. So even these uh, relatively complicated, hit-driven businesses uh, like gaming, the two big bets that Supercell did there, I mean, they they turned out to be just just great investments. Mm. So with so much thing happening in the Japanese gaming scene now, what are you going to be watching out for? Uh, yeah, so so the biggest bullet point by far is this year uh, what uh, Nintendo is going to do. Yeah, really? so uh, yeah, so essentially everybody is waiting now uh, what Nintendo is going to do, what what uh, DNA is going to do, uh, because you know when you talk about uh, Nintendo, uh, it's it's a global brand, right? So it's not it's not only the Japanese uh, it's it's not only the Japanese mobile game scene uh, that is going to be affected by Nintendo's entrance into that market. I think because Nintendo is, is a Japanese company, DNA is primarily a Japanese company. They have Japan is the biggest mobile game business in the world. I think that they will at least uh, start in, in the domestic for exactly uh, these reasons. But I think whatever the, what Nintendo will do, uh, you know, will be very very closely watched in, in, in the rest of the world as well. So no attention will be falling on Sony, Gree, or any of the other ja- Japanese games game makers. Yeah. Yeah, so at the moment, I think that you know Nintendo stole a lot of that uh, thunder, and I think that what may come close to that—not even close, but you know what, uh, closer than uh, than possible alliances that people might be working out out there. Again, it's all speculation, but maybe uh, another thing that would come to uh, close, uh, relatively close to that, is the uh, possible line IPO. Hero was telling me that a lot of these uh, Japanese gaming companies have venture firms. I mean, um, yes, Gree and DNA both have a venture capital arm. Yes, yes. We, do you see that happening for all the other Japanese gaming companies who's going to go IPO? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so they, they are all going to have corporate venture funds. Yes, so it's really interesting. Gaming is, as I mentioned, you know, part of entertainment. It's very hit-driven. Uh, it's, it's, a very risky, it's a very risky business nowadays in, in particular. Uh, a lot of these companies are diversifying. Right, so if you look at greed, DNA, you know, uh, the, the uh, I lost count of of the of the areas that the, these companies have have diversified into, like music, uh, even even uh, messenger apps. In, in in the case of DNA and and Gree, by the way, uh, you know, real estate, hotels, um, and all of these things uh, uh, that either these companies are operating directly, they are active in through their venture arms. Uh, so Gree and DNA's venture arms are relatively big, but there uh, there are already other uh, companies that are essentially game companies, uh, which also do investments in areas that are not uh, related to games with their own venture arms. One one example is a, a company called uh, K-Lab, K-L-A-B. So they have an entity called K-Lab Ventures, which is a separate company, but of course wholly owned by K-Lab uh, proper. And these guys are doing investments in, across regions and uh, also across industries. So it's not only green DNA. Uh, so I think that uh, other companies are also uh, getting more active in that field as well. Hmm. This is a very, very interesting phenomenon, actually. Gaming companies owning VC funds and diversifying all over the place. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it does make sense because DNA and Gree, they're sitting on a lot of cash. I mean, these are still profitable companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still, uh, they made a lot of money on in the in the past, so they're sitting on that money. You know, they're making bets by, you know, pushing out new games. But at the same time, they're using that money to invest in other in other possible potential growth areas. Mm-hmm. Mixi, Mixi is another example, right? So Mixi is investing. Mixi has is now uh, used to be a bigger um, uh, social network operator, but then Facebook came and Line came. So Mixi's uh, core social network is not really working well. So they diversified into games. The first game was already a gigantic home run, Monster Strike, which I mentioned earlier, which is now making over one hundred million dollars per month. And Mixi is also actively investing in you know in startups, right? Uh, that have absolutely nothing to do with games. Wow. Yeah. Well, so. Stretching out from Japan out to the world, I'm sure you're also watching all the other global players. Which other global players will you watch very closely? I mean, if you look at the uh, gaming industry worldwide, I think there's one trend, and the trend is that you know the number of new startups uh, in the gaming space is getting smaller, much much smaller. You know, it's getting much harder for game makers because it's such a hit-driven uh, environment out there. It's uh, and the competition is so high. Uh, you know, user acquisition costs are really high. You know, marketing is really difficult. The distribution is um, uh, getting the right users uh, for the right prices essentially uh, impossible for for smaller startups. Um, uh, so I think that you know, newer newer uh, uh, companies. I don't see many that I would call sexy out there, at least at the moment. So I think that uh, it's the big game, it's the big companies that are uh, dominating the market right now, and they have also the cash, you know, to acquire users for for amounts that you know newcomers couldn't even afford. To answer your question, uh, there's a tendency that the gaming industry, and uh, many people would say it's already a reality, is moving into an uh, oligopolistic. A kind of structure, you know, environment anymore where everybody has a fair chance of landing a hit, but it's essentially just five, six, seven, eight companies out there that are that are big that are basically dominating 60, 70, 80 percent of all sales that are uh, that are out there, um, and the the rest, you know, the peanuts is uh, can be uh, um, can be distributed uh, to to the uh, to the hundreds and thousands of other content providers worldwide. Mm. And but here lies the dilemma, right? You can look at the gaming industry like Hollywood, but the right. Hollywood have movie studios. They produce hits after hits after hits. But right. gaming companies don't seem... They have their hits, and then when they try new stuff, not everyone managed to succeed. I mean, the only one with a big portfolio, I would look at someone like Nintendo, someone like EA, you know? Why is that the case? There's no real hit maker. There's no really hit hit factory. I mean, some people can argue that Supercell is one, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have three relatively big mobile titles uh, that they're operating worldwide, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Depends on your definition of hit factory. So, if a handful of of games uh, is uh, is already a string of hits for you, then Supercell is one. Here, here in Japan, we have another one. Which is called uh, Colopol, C O L O P L. So these guys are also listed, very big, and they have uh, they have you know four or five games that are in the top twenty, top thirty, uh, grossing rankings on iOS and Android, but only here in Japan. So there are some companies like that. Uh, that uh, one of the reasons why it's uh, difficult for such companies to emerge is not it's not only the competition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's also the fact that you know the the smartphone uh, game industry is still relatively young. Right, so it's just if if you just look at smartphones, I mean, the App Store was introduced by uh, by Apple in two thousand eight. So that was basically the birth of the uh, of the app economy and uh, subsequent subsequently of the smartphone game economy uh, worldwide. So you look back at not even seven years as we speak. I think it was in in, in uh, spring or summer two thousand eight 
when uh, you know Steve Jobs made uh, made the App Store uh, open to everybody. There's uh, still not enough uh, data points, uh, not enough history, not enough experience and expertise out there to turn a, a company into uh, into a maker of uh, hit games. Yeah, you haven't seen enough consolidation. I think that's the that's the key. That's another point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Sakan, so out there. Yeah. So, Sakan, help my audience. How do they find you? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so I think that the, the easiest way is uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, Serkan Toto. Um, uh, uh, that's my uh, that's my Twitter ID. But uh, please don't follow me if you are not interested in games, because that's uh, essentially all that I tweet about. Oh, you also have a website too, right? Yeah. So um, if if you're interested in that in that vertical, it's uh, SerkanToto.com. Mm. So I would say it's it's uh, probably the only. Um, uh, you know, English um, English language, uh, uh, you know, website out there that uh, focuses exclusively on mobile games in Japan. And he advises game makers who are coming into the Japanese market under the company called Kantan Games, right? Yeah, the yes, CEO and founder. Yes, correct. So, so I basically found uh, founded that uh, game consultancy uh, uh, to um, you know um, uh, uh, to make um, to make my business of uh, consulting to game companies and also consult to financial uh, institutions uh, you know interested in investing in uh, mobile game makers here in Japan on the Tokyo Stock Exchange or also otherwise um, you know and uh, to make that more professional, I, I also founded the company. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You can find me at bernardleong.com or at bleongcw. You can subscribe to this podcast at analyzeasia.com or Stitcher, SoundCloud or the iTunes. Please leave a comment. One star or five star, I'm okay. I'm just welcoming feedback. Um, any case, Sakan, thanks for coming on to the show to talk to me about Nintendo and DNA. I know this is a mega big news and it's a fast, such a fast response from you. Yeah, sure. Absolutely no problem.